in a, in, a, in a couple of seconds, we're going to watch a video clip. And uh, I wanted to say in advance, there is um, some racial abuse and some mild swearing in this clip. It's actually needed for the point of the clip. Um, it's actually from the film, the 1982 or 83 film, uh, Gandhi. And uh, Gandhi, as you may know, uh, was called the father of India, single-handedly responsible, really, um, for expelling uh, the British colonial powers from India. And uh, certainly, for my parents and their generation, he was the great hero. My mother, you know, almost worshipped him. I think uh, she was a Christian when she died, and Jesus was up there as well. But I think Gandhi just about had it with her. Um, and the clip is taken from his very early days when he was a very young lawyer in South Africa. It's only a couple of minutes, so we could play that now, thanks. My name's Charlie Andrews, sir. I've come from India. I've read a great deal about you. Some of it good, I hope. You care to walk? I... You're a clergyman? Yes, uh, I met some remarkable people in India, and uh, when I read what you were doing here, I, um, I wanted to help. Does that surprise you? Not anymore. At first, I was amazed, but when you're fighting in a just cause, people seem to pop up, like you, right out of the pavement, even when it's dangerous or... Hey, look what's coming! A warship leading a brown Sammy. <laughs> uh, perhaps we should, um... Doesn't the New Testament say if your enemy strikes you on the right cheek, offer him the left? Well, uh, I, th I think perhaps the phrase was used metaphorically. I don't, I don't think that... I'll I'm not so sure. I, I have thought about it a great deal, and I suspect he meant you must show courage. Be willing to take a blow, several blows, to show you will not strike back, nor will you be turned aside. And when you do that, it calls on something in human nature, something that makes his hatred for you decrease and his respect increase. I think Christ grasped that, and I have seen it work. Good morning. Get off the pavement, you bloody coon. Yeah. Get off. Careful. Alan! <laughs> Alan! What's he doing? Nothing. Come out where I can see you. Yeah. I said, what you doing? We were just trying to clean up the neighborhood a little. You're late for work already. I thought you'd gone ten minutes ago. Get on! You'll find there's room for us all. That was lucky. I thought you were a man of God. Well, I am, but I'm not so egotistical as to think he plans his day around my dilemmas. <laughs> um, we have the first slide as well. Gandhi actually said several times in different ways, I love your Christ, but not your Christianity. And uh, he'd read the New Testament a lot and quoted the words of Jesus. But, but who could blame him faced with uh, the Christianity that he was faced with? But he said there, I don't know if you caught it, that um, when you turn the other cheek, it calls on something in the other person. Uh, and uh, Charlie Andrews, the minister, was saying, I think uh, Jesus was just being metaphorical. I don't think he really meant that. But Gandhi goes, no, no, I think he really meant that. I think it brings out something in the other person. And he said, um, I will not strike back, but neither will I step back. 
I will not strike back, but nor will I step back. And uh, I don't know whether he was, whether Gandhi was quoting Luke or Matthew, um, but here's, here's the, uh, the text in both passages. And uh, it's quite similar, but not quite the same. Matthew has a little bit more. And I want to zoom in on this phrase, which uh, John read to us, turn the other cheek. If someone slaps you on the one cheek, or as Matthew says, if someone slaps you on, slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek. On the face of it, it sounds like we're supposed to be, become a doormat, that we're supposed to allow anybody to abuse us. And this text has been misquoted to defend abuse sometimes. Sounds like complying with evil is okay. Be complicit in the face of injustice. Just let people do what they want to you if you're a Christian. But I believe there are very, very few situations indeed where that interpretation is true. Very few. There's much more to this turn the other cheek than meets the eye. Uh, and in fact, Jesus often taught, taught us in ways uh, that where there was more to it than met the eye. Jesus often taught, taught to us and taught us in a way to make us think hard because then we remember it better. He used sarcasm, said if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He used humor. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. He used parables and he didn't explain to people what they were about. He just left them with it. Let those who have ears to hear, hear, he said. And even in this passage, I don't know if you saw it, but at the start of the Luke passage, it actually says that, to you who are listening, and we gloss over that, don't we? We never read that. Jesus often said, if you're really listening, listen. And to understand, we're going to what Jesus may, meant by those those uh, statements. We're going to step into the world of first-century Rome. Uh, you see, up to that point uh, in history, across most nations, probably all nations of the Near East and Middle East, the law was based on retaliation. It was the law of retaliation in Latin, lex talionis, the law of retaliation, meaning the punishment that you inflict should correspond with the offense of the wrongdoer. If they've killed someone, they should be killed, in other words. The punishment you inflict should correspond to the offense of the wrongdoer. And it's easy to think, isn't it, that there's only two responses to violence, to wrongdoing, to evil, to danger. And human development has taught us that, actually, fight or flight. Those are the two responses. You retaliate or you give in. You uh, reciprocate or capitulate. Fight or flight, meet violence with violence, or just give in and be a doormat. But Jesus shows us a third way and lived it as well, as I hope we will see today. Remember Gandhi, who studied Jesus, quoted him and said, I will not strike back, but neither will I step back. And Martin Luther King, um, the great, actually Baptist um, reformer, uh, in the racial movement of the 60s in, in America, um, took his lead from Gandhi and called it militant nonviolence. Militant nonviolence. It's the third way that we're going to look into, explore today. So let's step into this uh, first century world and look at these passages. I'm going to use Matthew's list because he uses three, um, three, three, three analogies, three situations, three scenarios in life. 
Um, he says, uh, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek. If anyone wants to sue you and takes your coat, and take your shirt, hand them your coat. And he says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Let's start with that one. Go with them two miles. You see, in first century Roman world, it was accepted that a Roman soldier could commandeer any, anybody, any civilian, and make them carry a pack one mile, one Roman mile, but only one mile. That was the extent of the Roman law. And we've seen this, actually. Do you remember um, on Good Friday, do you remember Simon of Cyrene? Who was Simon of Cyrene? Do you remember? Yeah, so it's just a guy who just happened to be there and done anything. But the Roman soldier pulls him out and says, carry the cross. He has to carry it one Roman mile. It's a common uh, situation. So imagine you're the soldier and you make me carry the pack and I go one mile. And then you say, okay, give it back. But I say, no, no, I'm going to carry it two miles. I'm going to go on. It's a bit surprising. It's uncomfortable. It's like, what, what are you trying to do? What am I trying to do? Am I trying to get you disciplined? Because suddenly I'm causing you to break the Roman law. What is this? What's going on? It's uncomfortable. It pulls the rug out. It's non-violent, but it's militant. It's the third way. Next example in the Roman world. If someone sues you for your shirt, let them take your coat as well, says Matthew and Luke. Again, the law of the time, this time Old Testament law, Deuteronomy 24, around verse 10, and other places, stated very clearly, if, if you, the person you are suing is poor, you must return their garments by sunset. You mustn't allow them to be naked. And that was the Old Testament law. So imagine the scene in court where the debtor, the one who owes money, um, takes off not only their coat, says, okay, I have my shirt as well. I'll just go out naked. And the creditor appears to be the one who's caused this. Because nakedness was shameful and taboo, but most of the shame fell on the person causing the nakedness. The person causing the nakedness. Think about um, Noah when he was um, caught, seen naked. The shame fell on the ones who, who saw him. Again, surprising and uncomfortable. Non-violent, but militant. It's the third way. And then the um, last example. Oh, actually, no. First of all, yeah. There's um, a, an example of that. Back in the 1980s, okay, um, apartheid was, uh, was the, the way of living in South Africa. And um, the South African authorities had for a long time wanted to destroy one particular black shantytown. Uh, they, were, they couldn't do it because there were always people there when they came with the bulldozers. So one day, they waited till later, they waited till all the men and women of working age had gone to work. And then they arrived in the town and announced to the few elderly black women they had five minutes to leave, five minutes to get out, and they were going to bulldoze the town. These women, however, sensed that these soldiers, they're just kids. They're just boys in their 20s and even in their teens. So what did they do? They stood up, the women stood up in front of the boys and they stripped off their clothes. The soldiers fled. Right. Now, can you imagine a, bunk of young, a bunch of young men facing a group of older ladies who then proceed to take off their clothes? No offense to middle-aged and elderly ladies, right? <laughs> but they didn't like it. They ran away. They were scared. They didn't, it was uncomfortable, right? 
It's non-violent, but it was militant. It's the third way. And then the one we started with, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to them the other. This requires a bit more explanation, but we're speaking into situations where this is unjustified. And Eastern culture then, as, as is now actually, certainly the case in India and Pakistan and Bangladesh and those countries, the right hand is the only hand you use for any kind of gesture or action. In fact, in Jesus' day, if you gestured with your left hand, you could be excluded from a meeting. The left hand was for unclean purposes. So if a person was to strike a subordinate or a servant, or in that day, their wife, they would do it with their right hand. And most people are right, were right-handed and are right-handed anyway. And it would be a backhanded slap, which is a form of insult, a derogatory way of striking someone, rather than the open palm or the fist. To, in, to degrade someone, to humiliate them in front of others, to make them step into line, it would be a backhanded slap across the right cheek. Okay. But then offering the left cheek actually makes it quite difficult. And do you know what? We're going to try it. So, I would like a volunteer who would like to slap me across the face. <laughs> you will never get this option again. Now, she's already done it. Somebody, somebody else, please. Come on, I'm actually looking for a volunteer just to come out and strike me across the face. Who will? Sarah Rocha, right. Flipping neck. Right. Come on then, right, Sarah. Right, Sarah. So, not hard, please. No, please. Right, right. Right hand, oh, sorry, right hand, right. Backhand across the face, right. Just go for it. Just go for it. Oh, come on, put, put some effort into it. Just do it. Right, okay. That wasn't bad, right. But now, right, if I, same hand, if I was to turn my face, it, you couldn't do it with your back hand. Nose gets in the way. Right. Thank you very much. What are you clapping her for? She just struck an ordained minister of the Baptist Church on YouTube. Yes, we'll talk about this on Tuesday. <laughs> but um, if you look at uh, the way historians and theologians argue this, this is what comes out. Now, I think, you know, um, that whole thing about you can take it or leave it, what we just did there, right? Was it forehand, was it backhand, left and right? You could take it or leave it. I think there's something in it. But you can see that in turning the other cheek in a way that makes it difficult, here is a militant act an act of defiance, an act to say, I'm not going to step back. I'm not going to hit you, but I'm not going to step back. I'm not going to make it easy for you either. Here is someone trying to humiliate their servant, their worker, or their wife, and in response, they're turning the cheek, but in a way that makes it rather difficult. I will not strike back, but neither will I step back. Okay, so let's leave the uh, first century Roman examples and just look at what else is in this passage in Luke. I just want to zoom out for a minute. These uh, verses that we've looked at in Luke are part of what we... It's an, part of an extended piece we call the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, you probably know, begins with that, with that wonderful speech. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And then follows... Uh, after that, in-depth teaching on many topics, many topics, and we've covered a good number of them in this sermon series, and there's more to come.
And then straight after these verses, which John read to us, Jesus carries on and he says, but love your enemies, do good to them and lend without expecting to get anything back. So I don't want you to, don't want you to think that this Sermon on the Mount is only about uh, defiance in the face of injustice. But these verses we're looking at today are about that. They are about the militant, defiant response. It's about subverting the injustices we see around. And the people in Jesus' day would have been roaring with laughter because they knew these situations. They knew about the Roman soldier. Yeah, that, that, actually, that actually is quite clever. And, they, and they'd have been laughing at the idea of somebody leaving court naked and the, and the responsibility falling on the creditor because they got that. They lived in that world. And in fact, this subversive way of meeting evil and violence. Jesus lived it. Saying, I will not strike you back, but neither will I step back. Actually, Jesus was always finding this third way. Always. Think about it. People would provoke Jesus, and they wanted the fight or flight, because they could get him either way, yes or no. And more often, most often, Jesus would come back with a third, third way response, something that made them deeply uncomfortable. Um, when people came to at him with accusations to unseat him, he most often made them uncomfortable. Just a few verses before this, we had it a couple of weeks ago, Jesus heals a man of a withered, with a withered harm on the Sabbath. And the authorities come to him and say, is it right, Jesus, to heal someone on the Sabbath? Because we've got you whether you say yes or no. But Jesus said, is it right to do evil on the Sabbath or to do good? What do you think? Oh, that's uncomfortable. That's the third way of response. It's not fight. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to fly, flee away either. I'm going to make you think about this. Uh, when Jesus said a few verses after this, love your neighbor as yourself, and someone says, oh, but who, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus tells a story. A man was going out to Jericho. He was set upon by thieves. A priest came and walked by him and didn't do anything. And the hero of that story, which was deeply uncomfortable, was the despised foreigner the Samaritan, the refugee, the people, they're, they're not one of us, but they're the hero of the story. Uncomfortable, subversive, Jesus did it all the time. When they mocked him, he, never, he didn't respond in the same way. When they challenged him, he told them stories. And when they crucified him, he prayed for them. Ouch, we didn't expect that. Father, forgive them for what they're doing. Not fighting, not fleeing, but subverting. Creatively subverting. In fact, I would say the crucifixion was the greatest subversive act in the whole of history. The crucifixion was the greatest act of subversion in history. The powers and authorities of this world on Good Friday were jubilant. We've got him. But suddenly discover on Easter Sunday the rug has been pulled out. They have been undermined. Specifically, Paul says of the powers and authorities, he took the written code that was against us and stood opposed to us, and he nailed it. He nailed the code to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he makes a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Colossians chapter 2, or as the writer to the Hebrews will say, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy that was before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, that last phrase, scorning its shame, pulling the rug out from what was supposed to be shameful. Jesus lived a subvertive, creative life. And it's what um, those who thought they would have victory end up in defeat on Easter Sunday. And it's what Paul meant later in Romans 12 when he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Shame, uncomfortable. Do not, over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Third way thinking, not fight, not flight, but the third way of Jesus. Jesus' point, don't fight the world with the way that they fight us. Don't fight the world the way they fight you. To change people's behavior, to change unjust systems, requires them to become deeply uncomfortable with their behavior. The third way, it's what Gandhi said, it brings out something in people and they, they suddenly respect you. What about uh, modern-day examples, just to end on? Um, the third way, the, mor- take, take, the third way is taking the moral initiative, taking the moral high ground, in effect. Looking for the creative response that exposes the injustice of what's happening. Exposes the injustice. Modern-day examples, I was thinking about, I was wondering about this one, for example, which you will have seen in the news. Just Stop Oil. Seems to have gone quiet now. I think that started out as a third-way response, but itself, it's become kind of violent now. And I wouldn't say that was a third-way response anymore because you're meeting violence with violence. A better example would be some years ago, there were trade talks in the US, I think it was, and uh, an anti-globalization movement gathered and they catapulted into the talks, into the hotel, and into the grounds, teddy bears. Yeah, just teddy bears. And it makes people think, and it makes them you a little bit uncomfortable. Um, that was a good response. And sometimes, sometimes, the creative, non-violent, militant response, the third-way response, the best response, is actually to say nothing. And I think this person has done that. I know a lot of you have read this. This was my article on my website. You can see it there. But actually, she was called... Um, 20 years ago, the most hated woman in Britain, famously called by the Daily Mail. And her response has always been, I will not strike you back, but I'm not stepping back either. Sometimes the creative, militant, non-violent response is actually to say nothing at all. So lastly then, our response. Jesus says... It's easy to love people who love us. There's no credit. Anybody can do that. Even your enemies do that. Even evil people do that. It's easy to love people who love us. But in the world that we live, we need to go further than that. And a variety of responses are needed. Creative, third-way responses. Responding in ways that make people think, that make them uncomfortable. One of these is actually praying for our enemies and actually... The passage in, Luke, uh, in Matthew uh, just goes on to that. <clears throat> the very next verses in Matthew say, <clears throat> you've heard that it's, it was said, 
um, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but now I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who, who persecute you, that you may be called sons of your Father in heaven. And praying <clears throat> for our enemies doesn't just mean, or people that we really, really can't get on with, doesn't just mean praying that God will change them so we can get on with them. Often it means God will change us. It means it's really hard to do this, and I've done this, and it works. I think it works. Praying for people that you just don't get on with at work in some way, or wherever it is, that actually God would bless them. God would anoint them. God would somehow use them. God would show himself to them. God would do good things to them and through them. Changes my heart as well. And actually, just as, as the band, if you want to come back up, guys, here's a prayer to end on. I'll let you just read it, and then um, I'll say the words that are not uh, in bold, and you say the words that are in bold, Lord, deliver us, if you want to join in this prayer. Just have a look at those words. So, if you wish, in this third way prayer, say the words in bold. Lord, from seeking vengeance, Lord, deliver us. From our angry words and our desire to wound, Lord, deliver us. From thinking we are always right, Lord, deliver us. From bitter thoughts and escalation of arguments, Lord, deliver us. From fighting fire with fire, Lord, deliver us. And from carrying on our arguments to the bitter end, Lord, deliver us. Amen.